Find uh, Genesis 13 as we continue our march through the book of Genesis. We've uh, started looking at the life of Abraham. Of course, at this point, he is still known simply as Abram. But we saw in chapter 12 about God's call to him to go to a new land that God was going to show him. Uh, God didn't even show him the final destination. He was simply to strike out, head in the direction God called him. And as he walked by faith, God would show him the rest of the way. And I uh, got down to, uh, to the promised land, of course, and a famine hit the land. And so what did he do? Ran down to Egypt. And in Egypt, he lied about his wife's identity to save his skin. And uh, sort of got beat up on in Egypt, didn't he? And then in chapter 13, our theme tonight will be starting over. Because we're going to see God calling him back uh, again to the promised land. And Abram literally starting over, picking up where he last left off uh, with the Lord. So let's pick up reading in verse 1. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He journeyed on by stages from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them living together, for their possessions were so great that they could not live together, and there was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot looked about him and saw that the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. While Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you, and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
Rise up, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Again, folks, last time we were looking at the life of Abram, we were noticing specifically his sin and his failure. Aren't you glad that sin and failure does not have to signal the end? I want you to take the following as an example. When he was 22 years old, he failed in business. When he was 23, he ran for the legislature and lost. When he was 24, he failed in business again. The following year, he was elected to the legislature. When he was 26, his sweetheart died. At the age of 27, he had a nervous breakdown. When he was 29, he was defeated for the post of Speaker of the House in the state legislature. When he was 31, he was defeated as elector. When he was 34, he ran for Congress and lost. At the age of 37, he ran for Congress and finally won. Two years later, he ran again and lost his seat in Congress. At the age of 46, he ran for US, the U.S. Senate and lost. The following year, he ran for vice president and he lost that too. He ran for the Senate again and again lost. Finally, at the age of 51, he was elected the president of the United States. Now, who was this perpetual loser? Abraham Lincoln, exactly. Again, last time we looked at the life of Abraham, we saw that he acted kind of like a scared little child. More like a scared child than the friend of God. And so when times got rough, he ran down to Egypt. And instead of trusting God, he lied and he deceived and he schemed to get his own way and protect his skin. Now, he didn't forsake God. But it would appear from reading chapter 12, the last half of chapter 12, he at least forgot God. He ended up exposed and humiliated. And his reputation as a man of God took a hit. But folks, we we are going to see tonight that the climate in chapter 13 is different altogether because Abram is starting over. And what we're going to see tonight is steps that he took. And when he started over with God, God met him and God renewed his promises to Abram. And so what we're going to see tonight is how God deals with the repentant. First thing I want you to write down tonight is a renewed commitment from verses 1 to 4. A renewed commitment. I want you to notice that Abram went back to where God had placed him and he renewed his commitment to the Lord. He got himself back to where he knew he was supposed to be. He went back to the land that God had promised to him. 
How about you? Do you need to get back to wherever it is that God had placed you doing whatever it was in your life? Maybe you've gotten away from that. And you need to get back to that. Well, I want you to notice that when he got back to where he was supposed to be, he returned to his usual act of prayer and worship. Now, we saw in chapter 12 how Abram had changed. The man who had been in the practice of building altars and calling on the name of the Lord seems to have done none of that down in Egypt. Rather, he trusted in his own plan and his own resources. Again, as I said a moment ago, he seems to have forgotten God uh, for the most part. That can happen when we're tested. Folks, if we respond wrongly to tests that God has us in, it can happen, can it? It happened with Abram. You know, one thing that's encouraging about the biblical characters is just how human they were. Now, certainly I'm not making an excuse for sin. We don't hold up those aspects of their lives where they failed. But when we see the biblical characters, what do we notice about a great majority of them in the Bible? In some way or another, at some point in their life, they failed. They didn't pass a test that God had them in at that moment. And that's what we see in the life of Abram. You know, I think also about the church in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. In five of the seven churches, something had happened in those churches that God was calling them back. God commended them, but He also chastised them and he challenged them about something and he expected them to get that area of their lives straightened out. Can you think of an example in one of those churches? The church at Ephesus. They had left their first love. At Sardis they needed to wake up. They had a reputation of being alive And the Lord said, you need to strengthen what remains before it dies. The church at Laodicea was what? They were complacent. One church was compromising. Five of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, God was calling them to repentance, to address something that was wrong in their lives. Abram here is addressing something that was wrong. He's getting back to where he was supposed to be. He's making a renewed commitment. Now folks, I don't think it's reading too much into the text to suggest that when Abram got back to where he knew he was supposed to be, he he did some hefty soul searching. Because verse 4 says, 
that once again he called on the name of the Lord. I think there are some today who need to do what Abram did. You need to get yourself back to the place with God where you know you ought to be. In a sense, you're, you're in your own Egypt. And you've been there long enough. It's time to get back to where God wants you. The amazing thing is how God meets us in a place like that when we get back to him. I want you to turn with me over to Psalm 51. You know the psalm well. It's David's confession after David sins with Bathsheba. And I want you to notice what David says there. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Now, before I go on reading there, does anybody remember what David said in Psalm 32 had been his experience when he tried to cover up his sin and still live in his sin? What effect did it have on him? Sickness in his bones. He was a miserable man. Go back and read chapter, I mean, uh, Psalm 32. He was an absolutely miserable man. He was crushed in his spirit. Then, of course, Nathan confronts him. Psalm 51 is his confession and his repentance. And he says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Then he goes down in verse, in verse 13, we read, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. God, forgive me, and I'm going to live differently, and I'm going to have an impact on others. And indeed, that's what happened. That's what happened when... King David repented. And again, that's Abram's posture here. He's repenting. He's getting back to where he knows he's supposed to be. And he's renewing his worship with God, building altars and calling on the name of the Lord like he had been doing before. Again, I wonder if I could be speaking to somebody here tonight. You need to make that renewed commitment. You've strayed in your heart. I think of the prodigal son. He went out to that distant land and he lived it up for a while. It caught up with him. 
But in that parable, Jesus said he came to himself. That's the key, isn't it? He came to himself. And he realized he needed to get up where he was. He needed to take some steps of action. He needed to go back to the Lord and get his life back on track again. And when he did that, he found his father waiting. Just like Abraham found God waiting. And God started working in his life all over again, renewing the promises that he had made previously to Abram. Aren't you glad we serve the God of the second chance? And the third chance? And the fourth chance? Secondly tonight, I want you to see a changed life. Beginning in verse 5, we see a changed life. There's little doubt in my mind personally that what Abram did in verses 3 and 4 led to the outcome that we see in verses 5 to 13. What's he doing 5 to 13? It says, Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land couldn't support both of them living together. Look at what Abram says to Lot in verse 8. Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herders and my herders, for we're kindred. The whole land is before you. Choose which you want. Again, what, what had he done down in Egypt? Looked out for himself. Selfishly grabbed. Tried to protect his own skin. He gets back to the promised land and renew what, what would be the promised land. Of course, and he renews those commitments to God. And now what do we notice about Abram's character? He's benevolent. He's giving. He's saying to Lot, Lot, pick what you want. Now, he had become a wealthy man down in Egypt. And, and of course, his nephew Lot shared in that wealth. And we know that wealth back then would oftentimes be measured by things like flocks and herds. And so they come back to Canaan. The land can't uh, support both of them. And so there's a challenge that they're faced with. And Abram says to Lot, Lot, look every direction you can see and just pick whichever direction you want. And whichever direction you want, I'm, I'm going to let you go that way and I'll go the other way. You, you take the pick. You choose. Again, benevolent, caring. Lot, notice what Lot does. What's Lot do? Takes what he wants. What looks good to him. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart 
be also. Lot is blinded by abundance. And he picks what he wants. He picks in this world what he wants. Isn't that sad to see how people do that? I think of the highly publicized strife that went on a number of years ago between Paul McCartney and his former wife. He's a billionaire. She wants about $100 million of it. And so they're fighting over abundance. That's what Abram and Lot's people are doing. They're fighting over abundance. I've known grown children who part ways with one another over inheritance arguments when their parents die. I, I think of this, one of the sweetest senior adult couples we had in our first church out of seminary. She was a sweetheart of a lady and her parents died and her siblings cheated her out of everything. Now, it, it wasn't that she missed that. She had everything. She had abundance. She wasn't bothered by that. But she was bothered at what her siblings did. It's ugly to see people do stuff like that. But rather than get in a situation like that, Abram says, Lot, you just, you just take whatever you want. Now, in this particular culture back then, by, by rights, Abram, being the older man, he, he should have gotten the choice. But he gives that over to Lot. On top of his age advantage, the land was promised to him. Not to Lot, but to him. But again, notice what Abram does. He, he tells Lot, take what you want. You choose and I'll take whatever is left over. Folks, what I'm, what I'm wanting you to see is what a remarkable change we see in him now compared to what we saw in the closing verses of chapter 12. Chapter 12, down in Egypt, again, he's trying to protect himself, protect what he has. Chapter 13, he gets back to where God wants him to be and... and, and he, he has an open hand towards everything. Remarkable. It's encouraging. But that's how we ought to be as believers. When we think about what God has done for us and how we are rich in Christ and how God has changed us and what God's done in us, it ought to make us the type of people who have a heart and an attitude like Abram. I think of Zacchaeus in the New Testament. A greedy little man. And yet when Jesus saved him, he said, I'm going to pay everybody uh, fourfold. Whoever I've cheated, I'm going to pay them fourfold. I'm going to give back to you. That's what the Lord does in a person's heart. Now, the beautiful thing to see here, again, is that the choice was Abram's to make, and he relinquished over his rights. What did Jesus do? Philippians 2. What did he do? Left heaven, came to a sin-sick world to suffer and die and go to the cross for us. 
And Paul says to the Philippians, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, what I'm wanting you to see is this change in Abram. Not only is Abram getting up and going back to where he knows God wants him, but everything about this change is reflected in Abram's mindset and how he's acting now. He's acting like the man of faith we would expect him to be. Right? Very clearly, it's like, it's like two different Abrams that we're looking at in these two chapters. Abram's changed. Lot's not changed yet. He's very carnal. Lot lift up, lifts up his eyes. He sees the best of the land, and that's what he picks. Now, folks, I want you to think about Lot's selfishness a minute. He's riding on Abram's coattails, and yet... He wants the best looking land. Lot is where he is because of Abram. And because of God's promises to Abram. You would think Lot would say, no Abram, the choice is yours to make. I'll take the left. But no, Lot Lot looks up and takes the best. Doesn't turn out to be the best in the long run, does it? Lot's a man who is carnal, apparently, from the get-go. The Jews had a saying that a man that cannot be content is like a man who drinks in the seawater. The more he drinks, the thirstier he gets. The thirstier he gets, the more he drinks. And he continues to drink... Until the salt water kills him. Lot pitches his tents toward Sodom. Now there's a whole nother sermon in that by the way folks. But, but let me mention some things about Lot by way of contrast to Abram that apply. Abram's life is now oriented toward God. God's word is his anchor. He wandered from that commitment. God's discipline brought him back. Now he's grounded. Lot, on the other hand, is carnal. He's making decisions in life based on what looks good to him. And what's it end up costing them? Everything. Everything. Genesis 14, he's living in Sodom. By Genesis 19, he's sitting at the gates in Sodom. In other words, he's like an elder among the land. Now, Lot is a believer. Second Peter tells us that. Lot's a believer according to the New Testament. Second Peter says Lot was even tormented by everything he saw. But yet his life itself wasn't making an impact even on his family. His daughters end up marrying the men, some of the men of Sodom. His wife evidently falls in love with Sodom to the point that she doesn't want to leave the place. Even when it's destroyed, she looks back. And so again, Lot loses everything. 
Even before the place is destroyed, it's attacked and Lot loses everything then and Abram has to come and, and rescue him. But again, folks, Sodom is what Lot grabbed for in life. Testimony to us not to be carnally minded. To be carnally minded, the book of Romans says is what? death to be spiritually minded is life and peace but to be carnally minded is death I wonder if I'm speaking to somebody in here tonight that some things in the world look good you're you're making decisions in life based on what looks good Rather than making decisions on revelation, God's word, it's what looks good to you at the moment or what feels right to you at the moment. And you're, and you're building your life on things like that. And I would say if you continue to build your life on things like that, you're going to see it's going to end up costing you greatly. And it may cost you more than you realize sitting here tonight. Beware. Beware if you're like Lot making decisions based on what looks good. What you desire. Beware. Get back to God, get back to His Word, live out His Word. It will absolutely change your life. Let God's Word be the basis of your decisions in life. Not only will it be a blessing to you, it will be a blessing to your family. You'll end up making an impact on others. Turn with me over to Psalm 1 for a minute to see this. Over in Psalm 1. What's the scripture say there? Too bad that uh, Lot couldn't have had this to read at the time. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked... Or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. Now listen to the outcome of this. They are like trees planted by streams of water. In a desert culture a tree planted by a stream of water would symbolize what? Continual refreshment. He goes on to say, which yields their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither, and all that they do, they prosper. You'll be nourished. Your life will produce fruit at the right time, and you'll prosper the way God wants you to prosper. But he goes on to say, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Boy, wouldn't it have been good if Lot could have had something like that to read. But you and I do have something like that to read. Third thing I want you to see tonight, a restated blessing. A restated blessing. Pick up with me in verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Rise up, walk through the land, the length and the breadth of it, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Through renewed devotion and repentance, Abram received the steadfast assurance of God's blessing. He's done the right thing. He's got himself back to where God wants him. Once again, he's calling on the name of the Lord. He's become a man of worship. His life is anchored in God again. He's living out his faith. What's God do? God renews his promises to him. God reminds him of his inheritance. Folks, don't tell me that God doesn't see a man's heart. What's 2 Chronicles 16, 9 say? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's a verse you ought to memorize. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Abram got back to where he was supposed to be. Did God say, Abram, it's too late. Forget it, buster. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Is that what God did? Nope. What's James 4 tell us related to all of this? Draw near to God, and what will happen? He'll draw near to you. Little doubt in my mind that some of you in here tonight need repentance in your life. You need to get back to where you know God first took you. And what God called you to do, and what God did in your life, and you've gotten away from that. And you've started doing some things your way, what seemed good to you. Follow Abram's example, get back to where you know you're supposed to be. And when you do, your whole attitude will be different. Instead of grabbing, you're benevolent, gracious. And God will be with you. 
Base your life on God's Word. Be a man or a woman of worship and of God's Word and anchor anchor your life in Him. And just see what God does. Some lessons tonight. If you've gotten away from God, get back to those former days when your devotion was strong. Remember what it was like. Remember what it was like. Go back to doing what you did then. You know, I remember when I was first saved. And uh, first thing I wanted was a good study Bible. And uh, I got in, God gave me an incredible appetite for His Word. And I started studying it, started memorizing it, started growing. That's what God does for His people. Examine your life to see if there's evidence of change. If there is no evidence of change, calls for concern. But if there's change, it's great assurance. Know that when repentance and renewal are a part of our lives, the blessings of God are a very real thing. The blessings of God are a very real thing. God won't keep reminding you of your shortcomings. You'll move forward once again with His promises and His presence. Starting over. Good time, isn't it? Tonight, January 3rd, New Year. Uh, January 2nd, I'm already adding a day. New Year. Starting over. No time like the present to start over the way Abram did. God is faithful. And everything he tells you, he will bring to pass. Not necessarily in your time, but in his time. He'll bring it to pass. God will do it. Do you need to start over tonight the way Abram did?